Love what you hear? Be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, and even our D&D adventure. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Spartan 117. Anyone hear me? Over. Isolate that signal. Master Chief, you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship? Sir, finishing this fight. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And as always, let's go over some news going on within, you know, the Microsoft or, you know, Halo... Realm? Rel- realm. Yeah, let's let's get this started off with, with the biggest piece that I know a lot of people have been waiting for. Mm-hmm. We finally got this previous Tuesday, November whatever day it was, we finally got the drop of Halo 4 on PC, as well as what I was waiting for, Crossplay, yes. So that crossplay is between Steam, Windows, the Xbox app, so your Xbox Ultimate on mm-hmm. PC, mm-hmm. as well as your Xbox. It's it's really neat. I think the implementation has done well. There's obviously going to be a very buggy period of trying to fix it, but all in all, that update I know for consoles was like something like 47 odd gigs, so a huge huge chunk. But that gave us spec updates for the new Xboxes for you know the, the lower and higher end versions of them, mm-hmm. as well as 4K 120 on those, which yeah. we're getting into some modern gaming terms with it, some smoothness, <laughs> uh, as well as some audio updates, Halo 4 obviously being there. And as of our recording today, which is the Sunday, which is you know November something, the day you're listening to it, we just got the drop of Spartan Ops. Yep. Which wasn't in the first patch, so hopefully that'll be available along with campaigns. But that is our first major chunk of news. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and really, as I said, people still are kind of popping up like, what's going on with Infinite? Nothing. We have nothing concrete. There is nothing concrete. We're seeing people commenting on posts and saying, well, you know, it's it's basically confirmed that they're just polishing it. No, 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 no. Until, you know, we, we keep talking about this. Until... Microsoft or 343 Industries or mm-hmm. a representative from mm-hmm. those companies says so. And where you get a definitive pre-order date and a definitive release date, we can't we can't rely on any other information. No, I, I know, I believe it's December 17th. It may change. I know that Sketch, you know, from the Halo community and from 343 is going to be giving kind of like a quote-unquote clearing up speech, clearing up something about the release of Infinite and what's going on, I assume it's going to be, it's going to happen. It's going to be a here's the deal kind of thing. And then it's yeah. going to be 
kind of vague, you know, just saying, hey, we're working really hard on it. This is I, I, I assume he, he might say this is what we're shooting yeah. for. But even saying this is what we're shooting for, people are going to say that's when it releases. I assume it would be a hashtag detailed walkthrough roadmap. <laughs> uh, yep, we're going to go left, right, up, and you'll have infinite. <laughs> <laughs> Follow those coordinates, folks, and uh, then you can find it. Find that find that X on the ground. But with that being said, let's move on to the meat and potatoes of today's episode. Mm-hmm. We are going to be talking about Halo Wars 2. Now, I would say uh, uh, this week for Americans, this might be the turkey and gravy episode. Mm, okay, okay, yeah, because there's, yeah, depending on your family, you know, it just <laughs> depends on what you're, you're slinging there. This is your your sling and slang and Thanksgiving episode, <laughs> but yeah. So it's it's you know we're diving into Halo Wars two, yes. which is even more of a black sheep than what Halo Wars was. I would say. I would agree. I think this game is really where the polish came through. Mm-hmm. I think they took what Halo Wars did right and and continued it on, as well as added in some more content, some better AI, and really was an overall good RTS mm-hmm. that didn't resonate with all of the halo fandom no and we're, we're going to talk about you know more about like the, the marketing or lack thereof mm-hmm. and just i think this was phoned in and i don't think i think microsoft wanted to push it and again this is tinfoil hat stuff i just don't think that 343 industries hearts were behind it no you have to remember at this time as well this was when microsoft was starting to port over all of their own RTSs they owned. Mm-hmm. The, the Age of Empires, the Age of Mythology. You know, you had a, a bunch of other options that were kind of getting this popularity boost again. So I think that's when Microsoft was like, do it, do it. Mm-hmm. We're bringing them back. We're getting definitive editions. I need that out there. Exactly. But but let's dive into Halo Wars 2 itself. Now, Halo Wars 2 is the 11th game in the Halo series, continuing the story of the crew of the Spirit of Fire from Halo Wars. Set 28 years after the first game, the crew finds themselves hovering over a mysterious Forerunner artifact and fighting against a new faction, the Banished. It was released February 21st, 2017 on the Xbox One and Windows 10. But yeah, so the game itself plays like Halo Wars did the original one, like an RTS does. You have, you know, your your ground units, your vehicle units, you have a base. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's the, the core of it is you're building up resources so then you could either upgrade your base or get more uh, troops or vehicles or anything like that. Yeah, in the simplest terms of it. And then obviously you have your selected leader, mm-hmm. very similar to other RTSs where your leader has certain abilities, whether that is special vehicles or infantry or, or, mm-hmm. or air vehicles. You also have abilities, whether it's kind of like an orbital strike, a healing area, rapid summoning of units. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's plenty in there. And so we'll kind of break this down I'll give you a quick list of just who's in it. Yeah. Um, just to give you an idea. And, and you can look up these abilities as you play along. I mean, there's, there's tier ranks we've found. There's plenty of other stuff. But I'll kind of just list them real quick. This includes the DLC, by the way, which we are going to touch on later mm-hmm. in the episode. Yes. Uh, but I'll give them to you now in no rhyme or reason, but just to give a list of it t- so you have an idea of who, who we're going to see. Yeah. So we're going to be seeing the Arbiter uh, as a DLC character. This is the, the Arbiter from the first game. Yes. Shipmaster, Voridus, um, which is, some would say the weakest of the banished leaders, but we're starting to get that first banished leader we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Pavium, another banished leader. Kinsano, who has some of the coolest art, if you've never seen it. She is basically just like an insane kind of mech suit battle yeah. insanity. Love her. 
Serena, who is one of our AIs we're going to meet, as mm-hmm. well as Isabel, so coming with both of those. We also meet Sergeant John Forge, who is a, a top-tier leader, some might say. B-tier leader. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Our boy. The only boy that matters. Sergeant J. Sergeant Johnson. Sergeant Johnson. He knows what the ladies like. He does. And he's got stuff like the EMP Mac Blast, Bunker Busters, like mm-hmm. just all kind of war-based things. We also have Captain James Cutter as a leader. Mm-hmm. We have Colony, which I think is really, really neat. And it's basically like Golo. Yeah. They're hunters, um, which is pretty awesome. Atriox, our boy. Of course. How could he not be? How could he not be? Professor Ellen Anders, who we're going to talk about, and she has a pretty cool storyline in this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Decimus, who I love. I love me some Decimus. (laughs) Decimus is a good boy. Some may say a god among grunts. Yep, yep, the destroyer. Comparable to Frank. Not all the way, but comparable. Not all the way. And then we also have Jerome, Mm -hmm. too, a Spartan. Yep. Yeah, so let's jump over to the studio behind... You know, you had 343 being Papa 343. Mm-hmm. Well, let's jump to the studio that really did Jesse's meat and potatoes of this game. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be Creative Assembly. And Creative Assembly is a British video game developer in Horsham, England. Founded by Tim Ansell in 1985, the company started out working on games for the Amstrad CPC. We all know and love it. <laughs> the Commodore 64 and the Atari 800. For a while, the company worked on a lot of rugby and FIFA titles. And after years and years and years of doing this, I mean, their name was was getting onto the big time, the big prime ticket. Mm-hmm. And this would end up causing kind of EA to start looking at them. Which could be a good or bad thing, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, because EA would look to publish, you know, an ambitious over-the-top title from them and also start kind of doing the FIFA games. <laughs> uh, but this was Shogun Total War. Uh, if you guys have played it, shout out. I enjoy it. Let me know what you think. <laughs> Which was released in June of 2002. Now, eventually, Creative Assembly would cut ties with EA and continue working on the Total War games on their own. So that whole series of it, you know it, you love it. The hack and slash of the beauty. Mwah. Love them. <laughs> but in 2005, Sega would acquire the company. Shortly after, founder Tim Ansel would leave the studio. The studio, though, would continue to do what they did best, releasing Total War titles with an, Austra- an Australian branch opening up and releasing Sonic the Hedgehog titles. I will say, they're kind of just, just doing whatever. They're, hey, they're chameleon it up. Hey, we're with Sega <laughs> now. Sonic is our man. <laughs> and throughout the years, Creative Assembly has strayed away from Total War titles as their bread and butter and worked on different titles such as Viking Battle for Asgard, Alien Isolation, and Halo Wars 2. So, I mean, they've got a lot of ticks in their belt. I mean, they've, mm-hmm. they've, they're a studio that's tried and true. Yeah, especially with Alien Isolation. Like, I, that's one of the things I never paid attention to who developed it. So when mm-hmm. I started doing research for this, I was like, oh, they did that. Well, and such a shift from Total War. I mean, yeah. I, I mean such a shift in it. I mean, Halo Wars 2 brings them slightly back to that idea of it, mm-hmm. you know, to that RTS aspect of it. But really, I mean, it, it's really, really well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But let's talk about the early stages of development for Halo Wars 2. With the release of Halo Wars in 2009 from Ensemble Studios, it was met with mixed reviews. But for a console RTS game, it proved to be rather successful. In fact, it's still the best-selling console RTS to date. Mm -hmm. Some fans expressed they wanted more from Halo Wars' storyline, but it was written as a one-off game with a cliffhanger ending. 343 Industries would listen to fans expressing that they wanted another Halo Wars game, since at the time it was the most requested Halo title. 
probably more people wanted Halo Wars 2 than Halo 5 after they played it. Yeah, I mean, I would agree because, you know, like you said, really the RTS crowd, it's a game you got to go hardcore into. You got to mm-hmm. learn the strategies, what mm-hmm. works here, what works there. And to get that response, especially from console, because there's been so many failed titles that yes. try to adapt a PC element to the console and didn't work. Yeah. But starting on the console first really made it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In 2012, Frank O'Connor would state in an interview with Game Informer that, quote, the Halo universe can support these different experiences. People love Halo Wars. It's not something that we're working on right now, but the universe can support these different experiences. We just have to be careful not to oversaturate at least the console part of the market with too many different experiences. I can agree and disagree. I mean, I think you had Halo. It's like Halo Mainline, Halo Stick Shooter, <laughs> and Halo RTS. So the oversaturation, I get the idea of it. And I think I think a lot of it's probably internal of like mm-hmm. what goes on behind closed doors. They probably had an RTS Peggle skin. Or, you know, like all these things going on along with Halo to kind of like... Yeah, let's let's do those things mm-hmm. to try and get something going. Yeah. Most would consider this as just an offhand comment to deter any future questions about a sequel, but some held on to hope. A year later in 2013 on IGN's podcast Unlocked, Xbox Vice President Phil Spencer said that he was a big fan of Halo Wars and he talks to Bonnie Ross about it often, and he suspects that there's an opportunity to do something more with that story in the future. Now, if you have Xbox's Vice President saying, yeah, we might do something with that, then that's kind of like one of those concrete things that you're like, oh, that's actually serious. Yeah, it's it's like, hey, Bonnie, I really like that game. You want to make me another one? And she's like, well, he's like, make another one. <laughs> Put a two on it. <laughs> After the release of Halo 5, 343 Industries knew that they couldn't rely on fans reading all Halo material to understand a story. To right this wrong, their next game needed to be able to stand on its own story-wise, even though ideas for Halo Wars 2 were being thrown around in uh, 2014, roughly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 343 Industries would look around for other studios to work on Halo Wars 2. And when they met Creative Assembly... They saw rather quickly how passionate they were for not only RTS games, but for Halo as well. And 343 Industries was sold on Creative Assembly, and they put a ring on it. (laughs) They locked that down. Creative Assembly hadn't taken on work for higher games since 2001 for EA's Rugby. Luckily, they had been thinking about doing a console RTS for quite some time, so the marriage was perfect. Told you, them wedding bells. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. And they took the job instantly. Fans would speculate that since Creative Assembly has had previous RTS experience with the Total War series, Halo Wars 2 would heavily mirror the game. That was never the plan. Halo Wars 2 was going to mirror Halo Wars and expand upon the universe, what the game was, and not make it Total War. Because if you made it Total War, it's not what Halo Wars was, and I think it would would incredibly turn fans off. Mm -hmm. And so Creative Assembly was known for giving their games an extreme amount of detail that they put into it when referring to source material. Alien Isolation was a game that put players in the exact universe of the successful 1979 Ridley Scott film. They needed to do the same with not only the Halo universe, but the first Halo Wars game as well. Like previous collaborations, 343 Industries was quick to give Creative Assembly freedom with the game, allowing them to introduce new concepts and elements into the Halo universe. I mean, in in fact, 343 really wanted them to. Mm -hmm. It's, It's... Really what 343 did with a lot of their writers for their book series. Mm -hmm. Here's an outline you need to do. Fill it in. It's probably like they encouraged it because they didn't want to deal with it. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) You know, and this this honestly was something that Creative Assembly didn't expect. 
But they did have a lot of Halo fans on the team, so the process and collaboration was actually rather smooth. And, yeah. You know, 343 Industries would help Creative Assembly from day one on pre-production all the way to the end of the game. So mm-hmm. they, so it's basically like, do your own thing, but we are here to help, which actually is a very positive sign to start. They're pro- they're more like producers for this game. The company, you know, the company is like the producer for it. Essentially. Yeah, and, and they they could honestly help a lot with what was going on. Mm-hmm. And three for three industries didn't really do a lot of the heavy lifting when it came to developing the game itself, though. Like you had said, they're more the producer role because mm-hmm. everything else was done by Creative Assembly. 343 Industries would focus more so on the story and franchise development along with creating the Banished, a.k.a. what are we going to do in Infinite? <laughs> <laughs> like Ensemble before them, Creative Assembly needed to create an RTS that was easy enough for casual players but could be chaotic and strategic enough for hardcore players. They also had to take the iconic setting of the arc from Halo 3 and make it a playable RTS map. Creative Assembly would break down everything in the first Halo Wars game, picking up the best elements from it and expanding upon them. For instance, they brought the camera closer in the battle because they wanted players to feel like they were part of the action. They also wanted to keep the rock, paper, scissors aspect of the gameplay. Because if you haven't listened to our Halo Wars episode yet, it's actually pretty fascinating on how they designed all this. But that was the key thing. Rock, paper, scissor. Yeah, so it was like air units, ground units, armored units, essentially. Yeah, so kind of working in tandem where you'd have Mm -hmm. ground units, you know, that could destroy ground units, like flamethrowers, stuff like that. You'd have anti-tanks. You'd have tanks that could wipe out aircraft. You could have the the whole triangle of what, like you said, paper, rock, scissors, what defeats what. And going back to the fidelity of, like, wanting to be in the battle – that's what Creative Assembly has done with Total War. I remember playing Rome Total War on my terrible family PC that got me like seven <laughs> frames a second. But it was so beautiful to like zoom in and see the like the ramparts of like the, mm-hmm. the, the structures you could build and see the units. It was really one of the most detailed games, in my opinion, at that time that for that RTS and build and battle simulator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so they knew what they were getting into. Absolutely. But moving on, 343 Industries wanted to bring this title into the modern timeline of the Halo series for a couple reasons. First, they didn't want to confuse players who might be new to the series, having them jump to a different era. Because remember, Halo Wars, the first one took place 25 years previously. Yes. And now you're shifting that story. You're shifting your character development. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to make sure that people get an idea of kind of what's going on Mm -hmm. yeah second they wanted to put the classic halo formula into modern halo for comparison now each mission had a new element added into the campaign that way you're expanding upon what you learned from the previous mission and you can implement it into the next one yes so it's not just we're gonna have three missions in a row that are a tower defense section or you know just defend this one area no it gives you a thing of like here's how you drive the warthog around Mm -hmm. so we're gonna start that Here's how you activate the bases. Here's how you do a base defense. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, it was almost like the first two missions were a really well-done tutorial that still told an awesome story. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of campaign gameplay, there's not too much a Creative Assembly could do to innovate the RTS gameplay, but they could heavily rely on the story to drive it. This game was going to play like the first one, but have some toned-down strategy, and a big focus would be on the action on the field itself. Mm-hmm. And developing an RTS title for both console and PC would be tricky for the controls. Like we said, it's like, how do you marry those two to be comfortable on both and make sense? Well, remember, the first one was only ever developed 
for the the console and they yes. and they tried emulating PC controls and it didn't work and that's when they realized that we can we only need to focus on making this work for console. Yes, eventually ported, but yeah, to start yeah, off with mm-hmm, just the console mm-hmm. for it. And and this really brought Creative Assembly needing to have a control scheme that would transfer naturally between PC and console. They didn't focus on controls for one or the other specifically, instead side by side, like what mm-hmm. feels the most polished for each one. 343 Industries knew that they couldn't make another Wars game without bringing Blur Studios. Shout out to Blur. Mm-hmm. The homies. We know them. As we call them. Well, we, yeah. <laughs> we talk about them like we're, we're old yeah, we, friends. We know them. We, we've seen their Twitter. <laughs> but brought them back to do the cutscenes for it and contacted them on day one of the start of games development. They would present the story to Blur and ask them, quote, how do you think we can make this better? And then Blur began to work on the game. A lot of players were quick to notice that Anders and Captain Cutter looked completely different in Halo Wars 2 than they did in the first game. This was due to the first game using created character models rather than using motion capture. Also, it's 20-odd years. But, but here's the thing. They were in cryo. And I will also say you can use motion capture and then use a different face that's on it. That's what a lot of games do. Yeah, but I'm going to say the cryo messed up their face, and that's why they look <laughs> it made, different. It made Cutter look younger. Hey, we found the we found the, the fountain of youth right there, baby. <laughs> I will say again, tinfoil hat. I think this was just three four three wanting to say this is our Halo Wars because they got yes. new voice actors and everything, and the and and Cutter's personality is one eighty from no, the I, first one. I totally agree. I like you said. I think it's the three four three spin. You know, we're the stepchild. We want a little bit of our own flair in this. Mm-hmm. Let's do it now. I didn't really have an issue with it. I just went, whatever, it's an update. I mean, it was fine. The characters are still fine. Again, I think Cutter being a little too different, because the mm-hmm. first one, he was very just straight to the point, yes. stern. Yes. This one, he has a little more personality and flair. And it, It's kind of like they're both second Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> it still works. You're okay with it, but you do notice it. Oh. <laughs> but let's move on to the beta. Now, continuing the new tradition of making sure every Halo title gets a beta, 343 Industries would do the same with Halo Wars 2 to ensure that the game launches with a smooth multiplayer experience. During the first beta, only two out of six leaders were available, Atriox and Captain Cutter. Microsoft would extend the beta to June 23rd, 2016, with over 1 million matches played, with over 1.2 million hours logged into the beta total. I logged approximately 30 minutes into that beta. Hey, just so you know, I was there. You're, on, you're making history in these notes right now. I was I was on the front lines in that one game. <laughs> Jesse single-handedly established what is Halo Wars 2. <laughs> After the immense amount of participation from the first beta, Microsoft would announce a second beta for the game starting January 2017 for Xbox One and Windows 10 users. Xbox users would need an Xbox Live Gold membership, though, to participate. The first beta would show that many fans would experience connectivity errors, causing a lot of trouble when trying to connect to the multiplayer match. This would be addressed for the new beta, along with some visual upgrades to bases, unit populations would also be increased, and the gameplay would be balanced out a little more. Because you have to have, even if you play it in-house hundreds of times, you're like, those characters work. Whenever Mm -hmm. you have the general public jump in and exploit, like, Atriox, I know that was a big thing in the first part. It was like, ooh, we got to tone that down. Like, we got to figure out what goes on here. Mm -hmm. Let's jump over to some late stages of development. In terms of enemies, 343 Industries knew that they needed a new faction that would stand out from the Covenant. 
and a leader that had layers of depth. That's where Atriox came in. They wanted to bring back the Brutes and have their leader be more cunning and tactical than anyone else we've seen in Halo. And I truly think they did it. I think one of my favorite things that 343 has done is the Banished. Mm-hmm. I think as as kind of an original idea they had, that's that's a quote-unquote almost new covenant in, yeah. in a way that's based more on like rage, revenge, rebuilding. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that same kind of like Far Cry 3 type thing where it's like this like insanity type deal where it's like yeah. he's crazy to you, but to them like he's like this cool leader. So mm-hmm. I, I thought that was like a really, really well done aspect. Absolutely. And when it came time for the art direction of The Banished, 343 Industries and Creative Assembly knew that it had to be similar to The Covenant, but also recognizable as its own art style all the same. The vehicles for The Banished are dominantly red instead of The Covenant purpley blue, and they are a lot more jagged and rough, getting more of that brute influence. Yeah, they, they look like it's like, uh, remember with Halo 3 we talked about they wanted brute vehicles look like they came out of a chop shop yes to have to have that like angular like Mm -hmm. we don't have this polished you know gift from the prophets or or gift from the forerunners we did this ourselves Mm -hmm. the covenant wanted their vehicles to be more polished but the banished mentality was that it didn't matter you know it it wasn't Mm -hmm. part of this we need to look good as long as it runs we're good to go baby yep uh the silhouettes you know, also of the vehicles and really of the whole Banished crew itself needed to be more jagged and mm-hmm. raw and really living into that red and angry type, yes. type mm-hmm. deal of it. Mm-hmm. Cutting off of their Banished, shouts to you. I'm shouting to everybody in this episode, by the way. <laughs> Just shout outs all around. Kisses. Everyone, you listening to this? Hey, shout out to you. Mwah. Kisses to you. Shout <laughs> out. <laughs> Jumping over to a little bit more of the late development, Split Screen would unfortunately not make its return for Halo Wars 2. Like Halo 5, though, any co-op had to be done online. So this mm-hmm. is really... And to fault them and not fault them, this is also kind of the death of couch co-op for some reason. Yeah, this era was really like no... Like, I think all the studios assumed that it was dead. Yeah. Hey, you guys don't have friends in real life. Play with your internet friends. <laughs> and you're like, well, what are you talking about? I still play with my friends from high school. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. We don't have friends, so you don't have friends. <laughs> no, it's, it's an unfortunate thing... It definitely allows the studios to put more other aspects into multiplayer and to not try and have two screens going at the same time. And I get it more in this than I do in Halo 5 because in this, you're typically competing. Even if even if you do a, a, a co-op, it's still kind of tough to like manage mm-hmm. two Well, that's screens. a lot going on. It's a lot going that's on. Lot. You're not a first-person character, so I, I do understand it. Mm-hmm. Now, the game was delayed from late 2016 to early 2017, and on January 17th, 2017, the game was complete and was ready to be sold on February 21st, 2017. Mm-hmm. Now, when the game was first in production, crossplay was a hot topic surrounding the game. As much as the studios working on the game wanted to do it, they ultimately decided they couldn't manage to pull it off by the time that the game had launched, since they would have to make some core game engine changes. Yes. 343 Industries expressed that it could happen in the future, though. Now, October 2017, crossplay was implemented into the game for PC and console users. Yeah, and this is really the first kind of aspect we get of a 343 crossplay, or really some early crossplay stuff, because we're, mm-hmm. we're starting to get... 2017 was kind of the era of more and more crossplay coming out, mm-hmm. more and more like working together type thing. 
Um, so I do appreciate that, and I think it'll it'll definitely increase the small player base there was to to really branch out and keep this game living for the short life that three four three gave it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll touch on that coming up. But yeah, but let's talk about what's new. And since it's a Halo Wars game, there is a lot that's new. It's ninety nine percent of it is is you know vehicles. Mm-hmm. But starting with the UNSC, we have uh, uh, vehicles like the Kodiak. Not not Kodak though, not the camera company. This is, this is <laughs> or vehicle. the rapper or the rapper. Yeah, but of course, some of these as well have come back from the original mm-hmm. Halo Wars. But you also have the Flame Warthog. Oh yeah, the Jackrabbit, which is a small motorcycle-esque vehicle. kind of looks like a Power Rangers motorcycle. I love it. <laughs> the Chandra Bison. The Frost Raven. You also have the Nightingale, which I put uh, in the notes that it's just a falcon. If you didn't tell me what episode this was, I would also assume we could be talking about Game of Thrones. <laughs> these, are all, these are all factions. Uh, the Frost Ravens are over there. The Tundra Bisons are coming with us. <laughs> I should have just been like, yeah, this is a Game of Thrones episode. <laughs> uh, but to jump over, we have the... Um, not 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 the greenhorn mantis, but the veteran mantis. Mm-hmm. He's seen some stuff. <laughs> You've also got the Colossus, the Return of the Hornet, the Grizzly, uh, which I do love. I think Grizzly's a really mm-hmm. awesome vehicle. Kind of added in that was we've seen before. The Wolverine, the Vulture, Condor, and the Mastodon. I do love the naming conventions. I love them so much. It's so good. I mean, and it's, I love that going back to Bungie. Let me let me say. Shoutouts. <laughs> Going back to Bungie, I, I love their idea of the naming conventions of making, you know, the human vehicles, these animals and kind of in the characteristics of it and the Covenant having more of these ghostly Sp- ap- spiritual, spiritual yeah. apparitions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But let's talk about now banished weapons. So we have hunter captains now because before it was just really just hunters and that's it. Now we're getting different ranks and different kinds. Yes, and kind of an advancement of the let golo and kind of what their importance is with the banished because I believe in the covenant they were just seen as like these these wandering soldiers that kind of just fought for whoever was with them at the time. Mm-hmm. And now we're actually getting more of this kind of militaristic aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We also have Hunter Goliaths, which are just exactly what they sound like. Mm-hmm. We have the Chopper came back along with the Blister back, the Marauder, the the Reaver, the Locust came back. We mm-hmm. also have the Scarab, because remember, we didn't actually see those in Halo 4 or 5. We no. had the Harvester or the the whatever that thing was. Mm-hmm. We had the, the, uh, the Engineers also make their returns. Yeah, so so the engineers have been in is it three or two games total? Uh they were in I believe they're in Halo Wars one. Okay, they so were three. in ODST and Reach. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we're we're talking about four overall with we're getting this, them. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you also had the Shroud. You had a Wraith Invader and then you had the Grunt Methane Wagon. I love it. <laughs> we do see again a return of the flood mm-hmm. in this, which was a big, big thing. Spoiler. Spoiler for you, <laughs> you haven't played. This was the first return of the flood mm-hmm. since three. Yes, yeah. Um, it's odd that we had to think about that because it's like it's almost like unbelievable that the flood came back in a sequel to the console RTS's DLC. Yes, which was super odd, but yes, yeah, so, because I know that three for three shied away to give us you know the forerunners and the Prometheans. But it's it's good to see it, and, and with mm-hmm. that we get uh, the abomination, which was this evolution of the juggernaut, which is just this like 
monstrosity. Well, I love in the cutscenes, it seems to be like six or seven feet tall, and in the game, it's like 20. Yes. It's just this, <laughs> this fleshy mass. Um, Same. And then, <laughs> and for the Forerunners, we get the Enforcer Sentinel and the Retriever Sentinel. And then, just to wrap it up, we'll give you some more like little tidbits, mm-hmm. little, little additions that were added in. Um, this was the first Halo title to release on PC and console at the same time. Which is a big deal, I, I feel like. I think this, this is our first path forward. We're, mm-hmm. we're really getting it because Infinite will, if it comes out, will be our second. <laughs> Th- yeah. That'll be on, on all platforms with it. Mm-hmm. It had a standalone tutorial, mm-hmm. which yeah. we've never really gotten. Yeah, because the first Halo Wars, they said that they wanted the tutorial to feel like part of the game. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't want that standalone tutorial. But we did also have Play Anywhere title. So purchasing Halo Wars 2 will earn you a license for both PC and console and achievements and save files that will carry over from one to the other. And this is only for the digital version, though. Yes. Now, this this was a leap because we are now getting that with Game Pass Ultimate mm-hmm. and with xCloud coming out. So you're going to see that a lot more and more each year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then finally, we have control groups that can quickly jump to certain areas of the map because before you just had to press your joystick and just wait for you to hover over there. Yes. This gives you more of that PC-esque option mm-hmm. like you had in Empires or Mythology where you could select certain groups to be here, 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 and you can kind of teleport to everything or go to certain aspects of the map. You're getting that in the second rendition of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But let's move on to marketing or, you know, as I said earlier in the episode, really the lack of marketing for this. Yeah. Some uh, might call it marketing. <laughs> the marketing for Halo Wars 2 actually fell rather short compared to previous Halo titles in recent years. With the continuation of the Halo Wars storyline, many figured that Microsoft would pull out all the stops on promoting the game. But actually, it was a game that many didn't know much about or even know that it was releasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first we'll start with the live action trailers, which I will say we talked about this in our marketing episode. This was hilarious. Yes. So fans wanted a live action trailer for Halo Wars 2 and Microsoft would deliver, but not exactly how fans expected. Two live action War of Wits trailers would be released, showing the struggle between Atriox and Captain Cutter. But these struggles would involve buying a used car and getting the middle arm rest on an airplane. Yes. Yeah, so this is really where they bring that that. Bungie comedy, that kind of really dumb comedy of the PS1 era type mm-hmm. stuff. Those those early 2000 commercials. Yes. Yes, this this lived up to that because what I also loved is Atriox was a, uh, it was like an animatronic suit. Yes. It was all real. And yeah, the guy who they had play Cutter, it might have been the actual uh, mocap actor, but they, they were funny. They were like a minute or two long trailers. Again, it was just him haggling to get mm-hmm. a used car and then him just struggling to get the middle armor and doing like just like the kind of push for it mm-hmm. and, oh excuse me you know. yeah but but they were hilarious yes. like but if you think about it, other than like some trailers we got here and there there was also like a, a bundle for an xbox one there wasn't too much well and the only other thing that we got was the post-launch demo mm-hmm. because on march 13th 2017 microsoft released this demo for halo wars 2 on both pc and console Featuring that first campaign mission and the new Blitz firefight mode. Which, it's not good if you get a post-launch demo. Yes. Because those demos are before, but now they're, like, you're you're releasing the first campaign mission. Like, come on, guys. We got this thing for you. Play it, please. I, I mean, it's all you got. Because in the beta, you've already pretty much played into this, but they're like, oh, no, 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 no. This is super polished time now. This is the first mission. This please, is all for you. Please buy it. Uh, all right. So, as we said. Marketing wasn't really there. What little marketing they did do 
was awesome. We needed more of that. I agree. But once again, this is, like you said, the second black sheep of this entire family, even like more astray than the first one, because this almost felt like it felt like Bungie's like ODST reach thing. We're like, I guess we'll just do it. Just make a game, whatever, put it out there Mm -hmm. and and just leave. Mm -hmm. That's almost what they felt like with the marketing aspect of it. And kind of the the, the time we're going to see that they they put into keeping the game going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But let's move on to the campaign now. The story. The thing that you've all been waiting for. Yes. The true, true story we're going to go through. And of course, hashtag detailed walkthrough. Absolutely. Someone add some music behind that. Yeah, please do it. Re- <laughs> recut this entire episode with just folly and goofy noises too. <laughs> but let's start with the first mission, The Signal. Spartan Jerome and Red Team investigate the source of a UNSC emergency signal. So this, with the UNSC Spirit of Fire, has arrived over this unknown installation after 20 years uh, adrift in space. Because that's how the first one and They all go mm-hmm. into cryo, and that's that. Now, Serena, the ship's former AI, had run an AI's lifespan and had taken care of the final dispensation. Now, one silver lining, a UNSC distress beacon was received from the surface. Now, without an AI, the source would have to be located. So now we have a red team coming back. They're dispatched to go find the beacon and they come across this abandoned base. And yeah, and it's it's kind of they're like there should be people here. Because mm-hmm. we're getting this signal coming from here, and that signal had to be activated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, and again, we know it's the Ark, but they don't know what this is. They're mm-hmm. really unsure of when or where they are. But uh, within this base, they find Isabel, who is the, the new AI, and she's freaking out automatically because yes. she's like, what are you guys doing here? Uh, we need to go right now, right now, right now. Mm-hmm. They're Spartans. They're not hot-headed, but they're like, we can handle whatever it is. Because she's like, oh, God, he's here. And this is where we meet Atriox. And this is truly, if if you've played Halo Wars 2 yet, this is really what got me sucked into play. Mm-hmm. And what really wants me to make a Blair movie of this oh, is, dude. is this fight scene. It is a chilling fight scene because it's... Atriox, this is like the only time we see him get physical. Atriox is the kind of guy who can take out anyone, Mm -hmm. but he is the kind of leader who would rather have his armies do it. He single-handedly takes out three Spartans within a matter of seconds. It's like a 20-second cutscene. He takes them all out, and it's incredible. It's so incredible and gruesome and just shows you really what the power of the Brutes is from the books, from Mm -hmm. from that first Mm -hmm. look in that, like, John barely escaped one. Mm-hmm. I figure whether Spartan barely escaped yeah. one. So imagine when you have a brute that thinks first mm-hmm. before he swings. And that's exactly what this is. Because none of them really truly win. And he does eventually injure Douglas 042 and, you know, incapacitates him. So this is where Atriox said, bring me back their bodies, find out what they know, and just walks away. And then that's when these these this army of brutes runs oh, at yes. them, and they go outside and they look up and they see they're surrounded by elites and brutes who are all like doing like these like war cries, and you're just like, oh, what? Yeah, what is this? Like, it starts out with such a bang, and but it's, and it's such a great intro to the banished. Oh, absolutely, uh, they did it so well. Instead of being like like hinting at it for a while like they just went all in and was like mm-hmm. look at this amassed army yeah first mission 
uh, you're screwed, just so you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so they do escape, but Alice 130 does stay down on the surface as she covers Red Team's escape over the light bridge. Because I think they, some people assume she's dead, and, and Jerome's like, no, 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 she's she's staying down here, she'll be good. Like, he knows. Yeah, and it's because it's, you don't really know at that point. Because you're mm-hmm. like, she, she's trying to defend it so she can kind of cut it and get mm-hmm. them out of there. So you just you just really don't know with it. Mm-hmm. But of course, now we have hashtag detailed walkthrough. This one specifically hashtag rise from the ashes walkthrough, some might say. <laughs> there And there's a lot of these detailed walkthroughs, mm-hmm. just so you know. So, you know, we have essentially six phoenix logs that can be found in this first mission hashtag rise from the ashes yes <laughs> the first phoenix log can be found right before destroying the defensive wall yes exactly the second phoenix log mm-hmm. can be tell found me, tell me <laughs> on the right on the road before the research facility mm, of course the third phoenix log is next to the research facility the fourth phoenix log is right before the light bridge mm-hmm. The fifth Phoenix log can be found next to the crash site, and the sixth Phoenix log can be found after using the portal right next to the fence. I just found them all myself. Great job. <laughs> Thank you yeah, for that. Yeah, you're playing it right now. Listen, it's... rising from the ashes, some might say. <laughs> Let's jump over to our second mission. So we've, we're, we're kind of beaten down. We're, we're kind of scared mm-hmm. at this point. A new enemy. Captain Cutter dispatches a strike team to launch an attack against Atriox's lieutenant, Decimus. So now we're getting an idea. Oh, Decimus. Ooh, lieutenant. Ooh. Organization. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so it starts out, obviously, Cutter has no idea what to do. Mm -hmm. And Isabel gives Cutter and Jerome the backstory of Atriox, which basically he was part of this company that was always sent on these suicide missions, essentially. And he was the only one that ever came back. And he got sick of it and he stood up to the Covenant and he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. As he was attacked by an elite commander, Mm -hmm. all the brutes around him killed all the other elites and he fought back so that was the start of the banished right there yeah of, of the rising up and the, the banished takes on that same name that happens whenever the prophets would be like you're gone mm-hmm. yeah like you're out of this covenant yeah and what we learn is that basically you know the covenant almost wiped out humanity they barely scratched the surface of defeating the banished. Isabel mm-hmm. said they never came close to weakening them like we have no chance and this is where Cutter's like inspirational speech we got this that's that's that (laughs) and they go go to the planet (laughs) yeah and and so this is where we have captain cutter deploying spartan drum 092 alongside this small infantry force to kind of get you really into the game and get the feel of of basically infantry Mm -hmm. and to oversee this banished outpost where decimus is overseeing a salvage operation Jerome and the infantry clear their way through small banished camps and garrisons with occasional assistance with hornets and Kodiaks. So this is where you start to get a bit more the intro into kind of like these little nests of kind of outposts Mm -hmm. and figuring out what that is, defensive positions, all things along that. Pelicans will also drop off smaller groups of infantry along the way. You know, as you obviously lose infantry, they start to replenish it and just give you an idea of what that is. Mm-hmm. Without any base operations yet, it's just kind of baked into the game to yeah. say, here's your forces, keep going to where you can find Decimus. And once you finally come across this first main base, so you've been fighting these like tiny outposts, little things. Mm-hmm. Once you finally get to the first base and destroy it in its defenses, this is where the game starts to be like, hey, build a base here. Mm-hmm. Figure out what that is. Figure out line of sights. All of those things. And... You then start to learn, okay, you can make these units. These units are good against 
those little outposts, you know, like the flamethrower people, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So here's where you can start building it. Fun times. Fun times are had here at the The base. most fun times. The most fun times. Um, but at that same time, you are defending the base against these small assaults of banished infantry and light vehicles um, to get that skirmish going. So you're not just you're not just fully getting babysat of like mm-hmm. make a whole army and then attack. You're still getting attacked, have to defend all of those things. But at that same time, you have to build that army up to launch that attack on the banished stronghold where you encounter and engage with Decimus after yep. the base is destroyed. Mm-hmm. And this is the first boss battle. I mean, this is really where you mm-hmm. start to see like, oh, there's kind of like bosses in here. They have AOE attacks you can watch out for. Which we didn't have in the first one, really. No, it was much more along those lines of old school RTSs, which was mm-hmm. like defeat all of them or defeat their base, you win. This gave you more of an intro into a lot stronger units. Yes. And like I said, the AOE attacks and predictability because you'd go in, fight, 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 and you're like, ooh, he's going to do an AOE. Push all your people away, otherwise they're pretty much gone. Yeah. But keep it going. And it still also encouraged unit building in the same time of like micromanaging, like keep building units to send them up here as they get, you know, destroyed by Decimus, decimated, some might say, <laughs> um, to keep that fight going. But once Decimus is heavily weakened by the UNSC, he escapes through an arc teleporter after which he proceeds to plasma bombard the UNSC forces as well as his own soldiers. So he just rains fire on where he just was. Hey, he's banished. (laughs) He's a bad boy. And now let's give you a hashtag detailed walkthrough along with hashtag rice in the ashes. To obtain the grunt birthday party skull, you'll need to capture all, hear it again, all of the power nodes. Mm -hmm. Gotta get them all. To get the seventh Phoenix log, Look near the waterfall after clearing out all enemies at the beginning of the mission. And to find the eighth Phoenix Log, you'll get it after destroying the enemy base. It can be found right behind it. Easy enough. Mm-hmm. Now we have the next mission, Ascension. Spartan Jerome and his forces fight through banished fortifications on the way to the cartographer. After searching the banished stronghold that Jerome O92 and the UNSC destroyed before fighting Decimus, they find intel informing them that the banished are utilizing the power of the cartographer on the Ark, which is allowing them to find key systems and weapons on the Ark. Because remember, they're mainly scavengers more than anything. That's what they really want. Yeah, and, and it's it's to make, once again, it's that brute mentality of making mm-hmm. it work, building these things, and what better place than the Ark to mm-hmm. kind of get what yes. you need. Due to the strong forerunner defenses, the only way the UNSC can get into and use the cartographer is to capture the surrounding forerunner defense towers so that Anders can gain control of the elevator and take the UNSC up inside. Yes, this is the, the first mission, obviously, where it's a multi-base attack. You, mm-hmm. have to, you have to maintain enough of them to get this going, and... Start to introduce the player into more of that micromanagement. Mm-hmm, yeah. Jerome is on the ground once again and is accompanied by a small ground force, including warthogs and cyclops. They traverse the land to a designated base building site, encountering small groups of banished light and heavy vehicles, one of which being a wraith that Jerome hijacks. Yes. Now we're seeing Spartan abilities. Yes, because I, I loved that in the first game. Yes. Is that you could hijack, you know, li- literally whatever, and they, they turn green then. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. And it's, it's such a neat aspect that ties in mainline aspects of the game, mm-hmm. but gives you, like, such a neat way to do it and makes your Spartan that much. It's, it's a hero. If, if yes, you've ever played, yes, like, yes. Age of Mythology, where you can get a mythological hero that tanks and can do damage, that's pretty much what your Spartan is in this game. Mm-hmm. 
Now, after the base is established, Jerome, alongside a decent size of UNSC force of infantry and air vehicles, take and maintain control of the defense tower long enough for Anders to gain control of the elevator to the cartographer. All the way, you know, to fighting off a large banished group force as well as destroying some smaller banished structures. Yeah, so so once again, we get introduced to building air vehicles, the different buildings for your base. So yes. whenever you establish a base, you have other little quadrants around it that can be built up for certain things. Ground vehicles, air vehicles, uh, more defenses, more money producing your typical RTS elements. Getting to that it. cash flow, baby. Getting gotta, that cash get flow. Get that cash flow and the the energy flow, those blue orby things you could find eventually. Uh, so, <laughs> the resources. So, the old resources. So yeah, this is really where they start to start to push it a lot more of resource management and building a force worthy, worthy of defeating this map. But let's move on to hashtag detailed walkthrough or you know Phoenix Rising. Hashtag rise from R- the ashes. Rise from the ashes. I'm sorry. To get the paintball skull, you need to destroy the main banished base. The skull will be located on the far side of the map opposite of your base. Mm, yes. Now, to get the pain train skull, destroy the secret banished base. Now, the ninth phoenix log can be found up the hill beyond the light bridge. Mm-hmm. And the tenth phoenix log can be found in the forerunner structure beyond objective C. Of course. Pay attention to that map. See where C is. Get the object and then if it <laughs> found it. Uh, next, we are on to 130, fighting behind enemy lines. Spartan Alice must rescue UNSC prisoners to open up a second front in the war against the banished. Once again, to give a little, little backstory, so that that outpost we talked about early was the Henry Lamb Research Outpost. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of where we get Alice's point of view. Yeah. So she hopped off, acted like Bridge Lake could escape. Fortunately, she lives. She managed to escape the banished attack. She managed to escape the banished attacking forces and later was able to track one of their convoys all the way back to one of their main encampments. Mm. So she kind of did this recon thing with it. But after she did some reconnaissance, she discovered that the camp had four banished shield domes, which were holding UNSC prisoners. And I really like this mission because, once again, this is one of those more covert ones where... Mm-hmm. You go around building your forces by taking these these shields down and getting these these forces controlled. So a really cool mechanic for uh, RTS stuff that adds an element of interest, I guess you would say. Change of pace. Yeah. So our primary mission was to get to a nearby research outpost in order to make contact with the Spirit of Fire, but able to build up that small infantry force along the way by obviously freeing those prisoners and killing those banished troops on the encampments. Once she and the Marines arrives at the research outpost, they make contact with Captain Cutter and must defend their position while they wait for the Pelicans to arrive and bring them back to the Spirit of Fire. Their defense, if successful, should be successful, and they are evacuated by Pelicans after fighting a large banished ground force, including Wraiths and Marauders. Alice decides at the end to stay behind on the Ark to establish a new HQ to protect a portal controller. So she's kind of like, hey... I've been down here. <laughs> I, I know lay of the land. I know lay of the land. You think I'll be a prisoner? You think I'll be a prisoner? No, 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 no. Hell no. So she sets up that to obviously start to at least get a ground foothold into getting some control of the arc, mm-hmm. whether it's like through these portal controllers or other aspects to kind of let them, you know, the UNSC, be the controllers of what happens instead of just having the banished teleport everywhere mm-hmm. and, and jump around and know the layout of the land. Yeah. And let's give you... That hashtag detailed walkthrough, hashtag rise from the ashes. 
to get the Bountiful Harvest Skull, rescue all of the captured UNSC units, and finish the mission with all of them alive. Good luck, sucker. Good luck. Tough one, but fun. And the 11th Phoenix Log is north of the group of soldiers that you rescue at the beginning of the mission. Mm-hmm. Now, next mission, the cartographer. Professor Anders and Jerome arrive at the cartographer to discover the secret of Atriox's command over the Ark. Mm -hmm. Now, once Anders gains control of the foreigner elevator, she uses it to transport Spartan Jerome and his ground force all the way up to the cartographer. Unfortunately, the Banished had already had time to set up a small base, so a battle ensues from there. Captain Cutter provides support to Jerome and allows his ground forces to set up HQ in order to train reinforcements to assist him mm -hmm. in attacking and disabling the three Forerunner power conduits that are protecting the map room. Yeah, so once again, a really spread out map that'll allow you to kind of build bases as you go, mm -hmm. get units built up, and, and still kind of work the map to do the best routing possible. Yeah. And the UNSC disables the three power conduits by clearing out the surrounding banished forces and, you know, using an EMP Mac blast from the Spirit of Fire to deplete the foreigner's shields. And this is really where we start to get the ideas of leader abilities, mm -hmm. of, of having those that are over time that will, like this EMP blast or other yeah. ones that'll give you better map awareness. Uh, weaponry, uh, you know, upper-handed combat, things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, after disabling all three of the conduits and destroying the banished main base in their cartographer, Jerome and his army clear the way of the final waves of foreigner sentinels and disables the shield around the map room, allowing Anders to go inside and discover how Atriox has been using the cartographer. Now, hashtag detailed walkthrough. To get the Emperor's Skull, destroy both mini bases. There you go. The 12th Phoenix Log can be found in the first Foreigner Conduit, and the 13th Phoenix Log can be found after you destroy the East and West Base. It will be found in the North Conduit. Not the South one. <laughs> nice mission. Lights out. Jerome must destroy the Banished Portal Network controls and cripple Atrox's transport capabilities across the Ark. While using the Cartographer's Map Room, Anders discovers that the Ark's network of portals has been hacked by Atriox and he's utilizing them to teleport large portions of his army all around the Ark. I think we kind of already knew that. Jossa learns that all of the Banish's hacking devices are running off of a single control node that is acting as a router, or router. Knowing this, the UNSC plan their next mission. Neutralize all local portals from the Banished, and destroy the control node to separate Atrox's forces all across the Ark and draw out Decimus. So this is, you know, where we're getting back to that aspect of, okay, if we can shut this down, we obviously strand all these units that have been using these portals, and hopefully Decimus will have to come out to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So you have Jerome 092 and Douglas 042 set up an HQ near the portals and take control of them one by one, freeing captured UNSC units and avoiding orbital strikes. So this is also where you get those hazards of the map in there, which is pretty fun. Mm -hmm. And once again, change the, what I really like too is they change up the gameplay a little bit in all of these kind of similar things you have to do mm -hmm. in terms of capturing bases, building bases, things like that. But it adds new, like we talked about earlier, adds new element each level that definitely changes your gameplay up and makes the campaign still interesting. Mm -hmm. As the UNSC makes their way to the control node and attack and attempts to destroy it, Decimus teleports in and makes a surprise entrance. What's up, fools? How's it going, guys? After a long fight between the two forces, many human lives are lost, but Jerome and Douglas manage to kill Decimus. This is a victory on the ground. 
Parties all around, grump birthday party skulls everywhere. However, once Decimus is defeated, Shipmaster Letvalier launches an air assault on the Spirit of Fire with the Enduring Conviction, which was the ship that was doing those orbital strikes mm-hmm. down there. Once again, that turn of tide, like anytime there's a there's a plus, there's several minuses, one mm-hmm. step forward, 3,000 steps back in terms of UNSC. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they kind of leave this on this cliffhanger going into the next mission. But before we get there, your hashtag detailed walkthrough. To obtain the Pestilence Skull, free all of the UNSC prisoners. And hashtag Kakaw, rise from the ashes. The 14th Phoenix Log can be found by the final portal. Destroy the enemy base and retrieve it. And the 15th Phoenix Log can be found by defeating the forces and freeing said prisoners. Mm -hmm. Now we have the next mission. From the deep, Alice must defend against the banished as they assault her ragtag band of survivors. Mm -hmm. So while the Spirit of Fire is under attack from the Enduring Conviction, Barton Alice remains on the Ark and has to set up a new HQ with a defensive perimeter in order to defend the last portal controller on the installation. The banished launch a strong and lengthy attack on Alice and her ground forces, starting from the beach with some spirit dropships deploying a light infantry and light vehicles, such as ghosts coming from all directions. Yes, yeah, so this is really where you get that surrounded mm-hmm. kind of like, ooh, this is actually kind of like a real mission jumping in here. Yeah. These are easily defeated by the UNSC as they continue to build up a larger presence around the portal controller. The attacks grow more and more powerful. Eventually, the banished send in a scarab to attack Alice's headquarters, but it is destroyed by her and the rest of her group. And, you know, how could you think that a Scarab can hold up to a Spartan? Exactly. We've seen it in Halo 2, Halo 3. We know what's going on. We know exactly what's going on. Tripelican. (laughs) (laughs) Atriox appears to have given up trying to gain control of the last portal controller, and Alice's mission is deemed a success. Now, despite the Spirit of Fire still being under attack, Isabel advises her to stay at the headquarters as they need to help her reach a nearby location soon. And do you think she's ever going back up there? She's like, this arc is mine now. (laughs) I will defeat and kill everyone here. Let's talk about hashtag detailed walkthrough. To get the total annihilation skull, complete the mission without Alice being downed once. Hey, that's what I do. I, I know. I know I'm going <laughs> to do this mission correctly. Now, to obtain the 16th Phoenix Log, you can find it in the eastern area of the map. Look for the biggie on your compass. Found <laughs> it. Next, we have hold the line. In part one of Isabel's plan. The UNSC must defend a forerunner cannon as it immobilizes the banished carrier and breaks through its shields. I'm so glad that you're here with me. (laughs) As the Spirit of Fire fights the banished, Anders suggests that they make a new halo from the Ark. Mm. Very interesting idea, some might say. This way, they can send it towards an existing ring and reach a comms beacon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're 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 they planned on following it. That way, they can find something because they have information about. It. They're like, okay, we know that humanity has discovered these before. Yes. So theoretically, p- humanity will be around them. Yeah, and that's that's the hope is that maybe we'll find some research or just something to come and help us to like, or if they're at a ring and just see a new ring poop out and fly across, like, what is that? <laughs> that's what I picture. <laughs> Yeah, so, so, so we have Isabel dev- also devises a plan to take control of ground forces and fight back against the banished by taking control of a Forerunner carrier. Ooh. Fun stuff. Isabel also takes control of a Forerunner cannon and attacks the banished ship. So, you know, kind of working in all of these forces and kind of flexing those AI muscles <laughs> to kind of work in all these systems, which is, which is pretty neat. 
Eventually, the Banished launched their attack during this operation, and Spartan Douglas and the rest of the UNSC troops must hold them off. Now, as this is going on, the UNSC ends up breaking down the shield on the Banished ship and starts part part two of Isabel's mastermind plan to kind of either take over or just destroy what's going on here. I mean, we shall see. You're kind of flying by the seat of your pants. You don't know. It's the cliffhanger. It's the anime cliffhanger mm-hmm. <laughs> waiting for 17 filler episodes. And then finally, part two would happen. But let's get to the trivia, the hashtag detailed walkthrough to get the hold the line skull, complete the mission with all the barricades intact to get the fire starter skull, complete the mission with the cannon's health above 50% to get the sickness skull cough, cough, complete the mission with all barricades intact Pretty simple, pretty simple skulls to get, I might say. Yeah. Just don't do bad. Do good. <laughs> and you win. Uh, and hashtag kaka rise from the ashes. The 17th Phoenix Log is at the northeastern edge of the map. The 18th Phoenix Log will be found at the southwestern smaller base of the map. So you got to go boom, top right, boom, bottom left. You got your phoenix logs. Easy enough. Mm-hmm. Now we're on to the next mission, Under the Dark. In part two of Isabel's plan, Jerome and Isabel infiltrate a banished compound and prepare to enter the belly of the beast. They are the meat and potatoes in this, <laughs> in this scenario. <laughs> well, But, you know, while attempting to escort Isabel to the enduring conviction, Spartan Jerome's pelican is shot out of the sky by banished anti-error Placements set up around the gravity lift of the carrier. Mm -hmm. It crashes not too far from the gravity lift site, and Jerome emerges from the wreckage with both him and Isabel intact. I'm not saying they were definitely trying to give off uh, uh, Chief and Cortana vibes with these two. Oh, yeah. But they absolutely were. He finds himself joined by a squad of snipers, and he decides getting to the gravity lift by air isn't an option while the anti-air guns are still active. So he must build up a ground force strong enough to take them out and buy him enough time to enter. Mm -hmm. The UNSC infantry force make their way through groups of banished infantry, including a brute warlord, until they discover a banished stronghold. Captain Cutter deploys three Kodiaks onto the battlefield and informs Jerome that he needs to get a ground force near to the stronghold to spot it for the Kodiaks. Yes. Once the stronghold is destroyed by the Kodiaks, Alice is deployed on the opposite side of the gravity lift, and her objective is to ferry three Kodiaks to specific locations in that area. You know, once these Kodiaks get in the area, once they are deployed, you know, it puts them within adequate range of the banished anti-air placement so they can destroy it. Yeah, and if you guys don't know what the Kodiaks are, they're the, the cool turtles that have big old laser guns in their back yep mm-hmm. it's 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 your it's your uh base artillery mm-hmm. yeah um because yeah this whole this whole mission is just a walk your baby turtles around set them up fire artillery it's actually not a, not a bad one i actually enjoyed it because you can just kind of like you said scout it out with your mm-hmm. infantry to get line of sight so that your Yu-Gi-Oh catapult turtles can <laughs> set it up and Launch your uh, Celtic warrior and your kunai with chain <laughs> over, over at uh, these these AA uh, emplacements. That's a reference for millennials, right there. There you go. No, it's 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 definitely a fun one. I really like these missions where it definitely changed the gameplay up a bit. Where it's a f- basically a full Kodiak mission mm-hmm. with a bit of scouting. Yeah, so overall, I give this one a fun 
<laughs> Once the anti-air guns are destroyed, Jerome and Isabel board the Enduring Conviction. Now, Jerome inserts Isabel into the ship's system, and she attempts to gain control of the cleansing beam, while Jerome defends her from the onslaught of elites and brutes. Mm-hmm. Now, this is actually a really cool cutscene. I think this was them trying to bring back that badass cutscene from the first one, where yes. Spartan Team Red takes out all those elites. It's the same thing, and you have... Isabel in there and you can see her actually like working like the internal controls like the data mm-hmm. and it's like a cool scene because it's Jerome you know kicking ass left and right and Isabel is hearing all the voices of all the people that she couldn't save from the banish yes. and this is when she then takes the beam from the enduring conviction and she launches it at the arc and what this causes is the arc sentinels to come out and basically destroy the ship Mm -hmm. and it's really cool and of course this is where then jerome pulls her pulls her out puts her back in his head and then they just jump out into space like such a cool scene it it really is and and to touch on that like like you said the the chief cortana vibe of it i wish that's probably like my one regret is as we got more spartans they put more of that in the lore Mm -hmm. of having an ai with you to get that kind of combo. So it didn't, like you said, it didn't feel, and it really doesn't feel too much like it, but you can see it almost, like you said, as a Chief Cortana ripoff. Mm-hmm. But if you had more of the interaction, it would have just made this moment like just so cool to have mm-hmm. that 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 back and forth between them. Yeah. Now, this is when Atriox and Let Valure, you know, witness the crash of this ship from mm-hmm. afar. And obviously, at this point, Atriox is kind of pissed off because it had a large amount of elite mercenaries on board. But Let Valure, like, assures him, like, hey, we still have plenty of soldiers to continue this fight. Because this is where you see that it's like, uh, you know, these are hired guns yes. working with them. And it's Let Valure is Zinghili. So it's cool to see that relationship where he's like, dude, we got it. We're worth the price. We got this. Yeah, and that's exactly it. Saying, like, listen, although we lost these forces, we have the skill. Mm-hmm. We don't need the numbers. We have the talent to be here for you. As long as you got that cash, we're here. Oh, as long as you got that money, baby, we're here, baby. Oh, exactly. Hashtag detailed walkthrough, though. To get the things that go boom skull, kill all three brute warlords. Yes. And and to touch on that a little bit, too, for a tangent on the game, I do like that there are so many like many objectives that you can just skip mm-hmm. to get through it. You can wipe the map if you want. There's also time-based options for it. So it really tries to make the replayability there whether you try and go for the time trial Mm -hmm. or you try and actually get all the skulls the phoenix logs things like that it's really neat that you you don't have to complete some stuff you can do all of it and i'll I'll give that to 343 they definitely made it well i'll give it to creative assembly i give it to creative assembly because they were the ones putting this together and really making that playability aspect of it now the 19th phoenix log can be obtainable at the northeastern corner of the map between the two blast walls and finally, the 20th Phoenix log can be found after killing all three Brute Warlords. Hey, listen, you got to do it now. If you if you kill all three of them, you get a lot of goodies. You get a cacaw, and you get a thinky thing, <laughs> as they call it. Next, we have the Foundry. Allison Douglas lead an assault to cut off the wave of banished boarding the halo that we made. <laughs> uh, so the Banish set up barricades around the foundry and use a teleporter to make their way onto this babby halo ring. Mm-hmm. Just born. It's got its little booties on. It's got a little, <laughs> little, little swirly curly cue of hair on top. It's cute. It's an adorable halo. 
But the UNSC decided to take hold of a scarab and use it to get through these banished defenses to try and make their way mm-hmm. to, to kind of get into this halo. While making their way to the scarab, they take out as many ground forces as possible to weaken the banished's presence on the ring. As they finally get to the scarab, they have uh, you know this honor guard fight, which is pretty cool. Yeah, kind of like that mini boss battle. No, mm-hmm, like mini boss battle with it. They take out these honor guards and they take care of it. And Spartan Douglas then takes control of the scarab and unleashes its firepower on those banished barricades that were set mm-hmm. up yeah. to prevent them from getting through. Then, you know, as, as you're as you're doing this, this is where you start to just wipe out the rest of the forces that are trying to make their way onto the ring to kind of, you know, weaken it. Weaken mm-hmm. what's going to be there and, and the aspects that makes their way onto it. Mm-hmm. We finish up with Spartan Alice and Douglas making their way onto the ring to meet up with Spartan Jerome. Nice little reunion. A little reunion. Hey. Heartwarming. Guys, remember when we did that thing? Remember that thing? Remember that thing? We're here now. <laughs> Let's jump over to the hashtag detail walkthrough. To obtain the wovwu. I love saying wovwu. I wovwu skull. Uh, complete the mission with the scarab intact. To get the sugar cookie skull. Hey, it's about that time. <laughs> keep the scarab's health above 25%. So two different skulls, obviously, four different difficulties, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our hashtag cacaw, rise from the ashes, uh, the 21st log will be to the left of the scarab wreck, and the 22nd phoenix log will be obtainable after you destroy the enemy base to the south. Now we have the second to final mission, the Halo. A reunited red team must push back the banished invasion of the Halo so Anders can reach the control room. After Spartan, Douglas, and Alice clear the banished base that is preventing them from traveling to the new Halo ring, which is installation 09, and prevent any more banished reinforcements from leaving, they are able to join Jerome alongside with a sizable UNSC force on the ring that is going to assist them in their mission of getting Professor Anders to the control room before the banished. During the mission, Red Team clears the surrounding area of all the banished forces under the command of Atriox and gains control of and holds three control towers outside of the control room in order for Anders to be given access to it. While taking control of and holding the towers, Mm -hmm. the ring send out forerunner defenses in an attempt to prevent them from gaining access to the control room. So now the the ring's like, get the hell off me. I'm a, I'm a baby wing. <laughs> get away. <laughs> Amongst these defenses are retriever sentinels, large flying forerunner defense drones with devastating ranged attacking mm-hmm. abilities. So this is where we start to get those first looks at those new sentinels they built up for the mm-hmm. game that just give new elements to the RTS strategy. Yeah. And after the UNSC maintains control of the towers for long enough and fighting off the banished, Anders is eventually able to gain control of the retriever sentinel and uses it to destroy the final shield that is protecting the control room, giving her access to it so that she can complete her goal of disarming the ring's weapon system. Because mm-hmm. remember, we have this ring. We don't want to actually use it, though. No, we don't want it. We don't want it to be activated. We don't want any sentinels attacking us. Mm-hmm. We just want its comms relay, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now let's move on to the hashtag detailed walkthrough to get the after party skull Rescue Bravo base before it is destroyed. Mm-hmm. If it's destroyed, you do not get it. You get no cranium. Nope. And the 23rd Phoenix Log will be right next to the starting base. And our last mission, last stand. Makes sense. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll do it as Jesse's Master Chief. <laughs> Cutter and his crew must fend off the banished in the final defense of Anders as she prepares the Halo for its 
Voyage. I feel like you're, you're making fun of me right there. I might be. <laughs> uh, Anders must make her way into the Ark's control room as the Spartan Red Team and the UNSC must defend it. They can't build a base. So this is the final mission. There's no base building. It's mm-hmm. all just defense and wave defense. You, you'll get some reinforcements by air that'll come in for you. Yeah. Or they'll kind of like scurry along. But you guide it. Really rely on your skill in the game thus far of keeping your troops alive, using healing drone strike things, yeah. and everything that's within your aspect of it. As the UNSC defends Anders, a scarab appears, but luckily a prototype gunship is able to take it out. Gotta love when you got a prototype gunship just in there. Hey, they've always got some, you got some just around. Just around. We got a prototype for it. <laughs> but Atrax does continue to send forces as a last-ditch effort fueled by anger. But, unfortunately, you, the player, <laughs> dominating him. Absolutely. Wiping those forces out, perfect. Once Anders has total control of the Halo Ring, she launches the section that Banish are occupying into space. So this, so this is a cool scene. It's a really cool scene. And remember, this is, for some reason, an aspect that Halos can do. They have, like, detachable areas that were built yeah. that monitors have done in the past. Yeah. They'll launch off bits of it. And thank God, coincidentally, that's exactly where the Banished were standing. <laughs> These are our exact plot points. Stay yeah. within them. But it's cool because she has, like, a hologram, and she just, like, puts her hand under that section and just launches it, and then you see the ring actually launch, and just, like, that section deteriorates as it goes into space. It's it's really, really awesome. It, it's an awesome scene. Yeah, and, and so as is happening, as we're finishing up, the UNSC and all their friends are obviously able to leave the ring. However, rest in peace, maybe. Potentially not. Potentially yes. But Anders stays on the ring, unfortunately, as mm-hmm. it is sent into slip space. Yeah, and this is where she's like telling the captain as this is happening, like, it'll just be a few weeks. I can probably, and then it's like, Zoop. yeah, and then it's just gone. And, and yeah, and you, you get left on that cliffhanger of her story. Mm-hmm. And on Atriox's story. And this is where Atriox, who's, you know, angered by his defeat, looks upon his army in preparation for the battle to come. Oh, because, yeah, it's like this gigantic army, and, like, that's kind of just how it ends. Like, this this game does end kind of rather anticlimactically. Yes, it, it's 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 almost set up as the second game in a trilogy. Yes. It's that thing that kind of advances the story a little bit and gives us more, mm-hmm. but sets it up for the final battle in the third movie. You know, the return of the king, basically, mm-hmm. setting it up for that triumphant defeat that triumphant win you know you you don't really know what those things but that's you know pretty much where we're left with the base game and your final of the base game hashtag detailed walkthrough to get the shadow skull keep the shield in the control room above 75 percent and your final base game kaka rise from the ashes hashtag once you get the objective to kill the warlords the 24th phoenix log will be to the right side of the arena easy enough But now let's quickly talk about the legendary ending. Mm -hmm. So the ring that Anders is on drops out of slip space and she walks out under the ring and then suddenly a guardian appears above her looking over her. So I do love that tie in of Halo 4 and Halo Wars 2. Yes. Do like that. Yes. And and, and getting us on these aspects of trying to push it into those mainline games and the mainline story of it. Mm -hmm. So unfortunate. I guess and fortunate, but unfortunately, it's a legendary ending that I think a lot of players yeah. would never see in, until they YouTube it. Me. <laughs> but but it is such a cool time, like you said, to, to really polish off mm-hmm. the base game. Yep. But, you know, we've covered the campaign. And now let's 
talk about the cut material. Now, there's not a lot I could find. Obviously, there's always a lot of cut material. But let's talk about the cut material that we could find online, starting with the Master Chief. Though only concept art has ever been found, it is still speculated that he was going to be used as a DLC character. Like, I don't... Yeah, yeah, as as a leader specifically. Yeah, because that's what people are saying. Like, like whenever it was found, it's like, you know, guys, that's just concept art, but it's like, why would you guys go... It's it's final finalized concept art, like, Mm -hmm. the rest of this stuff. Like, I think they wanted to, but Microsoft was probably really, like, no. Either that or like we're going to talk about being the the 14th stepchild type thing. Yeah. They did put DLC up. Like we don't want to like put our Master Chief in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moving on from that, Hunter Goliaths were originally going to have tracker beams kind of like scarabs to make them like infinitely harder. Mm-hmm. But it was cut because it just it, there's no way to balance it. Yeah. Now, we also had Hero Grunts. Now, this was an armored grunt that could be revived. The character model for this game was actually made, but it was pulled from Yep Yep's DLC. Mm-hmm. So, for whatever reason, it was pulled. And finally, thank God this was cut. The Warden Eternal and Prometheans were going to be part of the game. It was part of a DLC pitch, actually, that failed. Yes. Thank God that failed. Well, it would just make... Because then you basically have three main warring factions that you now have to balance and then are you gonna have yes. enough, are you gonna have enough heroes for them yeah where are the heroes gonna be besides the war and eternal a bigger knight the librarian like do you bring that in like like what do you, how far would yeah, you go with that? the didact or something since yeah. like since none of these heroes are really canonical which we'll talk about here now that we're moving on to dlc actually mm-hmm. and so months prior to the release of the game 343 Industries and Creative Assembly would promote that they would have abundance, an abundance of DLC coming out well past six months after the release. And the first would release the same date as the game would release. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to start off, we would have Sergeant Forge. Forge would make his return to the Halo Wars series as a leader with his M850 Grizzly and Forge's M12 Warthog. But the next DLC we had was Kinsano. This DLC would introduce the leader Morgan Kinsano and her army that relies heavily on fire. As a leader, Kinsano is equipped with a flame cyclops and would also introduce flame warthogs. And it was released March 20th, 2017. I mean, even though Kinsano is an okay, like, C-list leader, D-list leader, Mm -hmm. I just love her art and her ridiculousness of like... Oh, it's awesome. Her like mech flamethrower is just (laughs) so neat. And it still carries along that same OG Halo Combat Evolved uh, PC art style of Mm -hmm. like that like flamey guy on the side. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Uh, Next we have Colony. And Colony was a very interesting DLC because this is really where we first start to get any idea of a Legolo leader. Mm Mm-hmm. And this DLC would introduce a number of new hunters and abilities to go, you know, hand in hand with them, released April 19th, 2017. Next, we have arguably the best one, Sergeant Johnson. The ladies man himself, Johnson, would return to the Halo universe. Using his character model for a Halo 2 anniversary and equipped with a mech, the green machine, and new <laughs> mechs as well. And the DLC was released May 22nd, 2017. Next, we have Icons of War. This bundled DLC would introduce Commander Jerome, so we're actually going to have mm-hmm. him as a commander, and the Arbiter from the first Halo Wars as leaders. It was released June 21st, 2017. Also, one of the most important ones is Yap Yap the Destroyer, and this DLC would feature the legendary Yap Yap the Destroyer and his endless army of grunts. His abilities include a Shade Drop and Grunts Dome, and it was released 
August 17th, 2017. Some may say a very unbalanced hero. I say a god. <laughs> I say shut up, nerd. <laughs> now we have Serena. So returning from the OG Halo Wars for our, our AI that we had originally, mm-hmm. Serena would come to Halo Wars 2 with cryotech abilities and new vehicles. It was released July 26, 2017. Uh, yeah, I, I would say another pretty good, almost top tier hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know, now that those are like DLC hero packs, let's move on to the two kind of narrative DLCs mm-hmm. they did release. And the first one was Operation Spearbreaker, and it was released on July twenty fifth, two thousand seventeen. And this DLC contains two missions featuring the ODST Sunray one one and their continued fight for the Ark. This mm-hmm. one was kind of boring. This was like kind of those things. It's like, eh, we could have done without this one. Yeah. But this next one's interesting. I would have to agree, because it's Awakening the Nightmare. Halo Wars 2 was the most requested Halo title that wasn't a mainline game, and the most requested aspect of it would be to play as the Covenant in the story. 343 Industries didn't deliver Covenant gameplay in the base game itself, but a year after launch, they would allow players to control armies through the Banished. The DLC revolves around Brute Brothers, Pavium, and Vortus, as they investigate the crashed city of High Charity and end up unleashing the Flood. With Awakening the Nightmare, a new game mode would be introduced, Terminus Firefight, which is more or less a base defense mode. It also introduced spectator mode and area functionality. The most important thing that Awakening the Nightmare would do was bring the Flood back into Halo. It was released September 26, 2017. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so again, we talked about that we get this spin-off sequel DLC to reintroduce the Flood, but still interesting nonetheless. We still have them in the lore now, so we'll see if we see them in Infinite, if we ever even see Infinite. We don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But now let's move on to the multiplayer of the game. Halo Wars 2 would have multiplayer like the first game, but unlike previous 343 industry games, the multiplayer is not canonical. The base game would not launch with any multiplayer competitive rankings because they wanted to improve the game post-launch. Instead, they would have a Spartan ranked based on XP. They did, however, plan to introduce competitive rankings later down the line. Mm -hmm. The ranking system would eventually be released with bronze, silver, gold, platinum, diamond, Onyx, and Champion, with tiers in each ranking. After a player completes 10 matches, they will be placed in a rank. Mm -hmm. Players can then move up and down the rank depending on their wins and losses. Yeah, so kind of your traditional competitive aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to jump into some game types we had, uh, we had Domination. Uh, So this was kind of your OG aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And within that, it's all about map control and strategy. You need to build up your armies and then get control of all three control towers to obtain points so very mm-hmm. similar like king of the hill and some other like dominion stuff that we had yeah also obviously your, your truest form of rts some may say purist <laughs> this is the alex form yes deathmatch build up your army destroy all the enemy bases and get them to concede and wipe out yep pretty straightforward we did have strongholds as well now this fast-paced game type was meant for rounds to be over in roughly 15 minutes all units, leaders, abilities, etc. are unlocked at the start of the game. And this game mode was heavily inspired by MOBAs. Mm-hmm. And the more bases you capture, the higher your population count can become. And you know, next, this is this was this game type was really kind of the the buzz that was gonna be around Halo Wars two, which was Blitz, and this was created to make you know RTS for everyone. Instead of focusing on base building, 
uh, players focused on their units that they set up with cards that they picked. 343 Industries wanted an RTS mode that, you know, took the best elements of the genre and condensed it down into a quick or lengthy match, depending on how you played. This is what led to using cards instead of focusing on building your army throughout the game, having only 12 slots for your cards. 343 Industries and Creative Assembly would pay attention to a lot of MOBAs throughout the years for inspiration for this game mode. Card rarity goes from common, uncommon, epic, and legendary. Even though the player can earn any card through earning packs, they could increase their chances of getting more rare cards through purchasing premium packs. Mm -hmm. The Halo community was concerned with pay-to-win scenarios in the Blitz mode. When this was brought up to 343 design director Clay Jensen in an interview with Phoenix Bazaar, he would state, quote, We actually got the same concerns that the community does. Microtransactions are always something that, when you do it, you need to always know why you're doing it and communicate why you're doing it. IGN straight up said in an article to avoid buying packs for as long as possible if you can and earn them instead. Now, creating Blitz was rather rocky. In an interview with Xbox News, Dan Ayub would state, quote, We had a number of failures and false starts before we settled on how it is today. In every iteration, we sat down and asked ourselves, is this accomplishing the goal? Is it fun enough? Can we do better? When we got to do what we have today, we all just looked at each other and knew this was it. And, and honestly, it's been proven that Blitz mode is a pay-to-win game mode if you if you purchase enough of the premium packs you're gonna get enough rare cards and better cards that you're gonna be able to win through and through it it's been proven yeah it's it's unfortunate i think i think really the reason they pushed this game was to try and get those microtransactions Mm -hmm. i mean you're right it is pay to win it's it's you have to get the dlc characters for the most part and whenever and and they try to do blitz kind of like all the sports games building up your card collection to get the best ones to get mm-hmm. the best aspects of it so it's just truly unfortunate that they went that way with it cuz they also went that way with a, a little bit of halo 5 not much mm-hmm. but they still had the microtransaction aspect in it of getting those cards and the packs yeah um which was like i don't know some some person in a meeting was why don't we do trading card things, but gaming, but here? And then everyone, every every single game at that time went, yes. <laughs> However, getting out of that murky territory, we did have Skirmish. And this is the closest to custom matches you'll get in Halo Wars 2. You can pick how much resources players start with and other options, difficulty settings, how many bases, things along those lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, skulls can also be added. Players can go against other players, AIs, team up, not team up. And within skirmish matches, you can play deathmatch, domination, and stronghold. But let's talk about esports or what kind of what they wanted from esports. Mm-hmm. 343 Industries did want a competitive esports scene to organically grow from Halo Wars 2. In fact, they developed the multiplayer with esports in mind. So in interviews, they'd say they were asked, like, so you guys got esports coming, right? They're like, well, if it grows, if there's a demand for yeah. it, which meant no. If the community wanted esports from Halo Wars 2, then 343 Industries was ready to support and push it. You know, 343 Industries were pretty convinced that Blitz mode would lead Halo Wars to esports scene, like alone. You know, that pay to win mm-hmm. game mode? Yeah, that's going to lead the esports. The only setback to that, though, was a certain cards being more rare than others, throwing off the balance of the game entirely. Now, though there were a handful of esports tournaments, some also run by the community, the last one would happen January. 
January 31st, 2019, with the officers winning three out of five matches against Team Easy. It, Fun. Yeah, as I said, all, only really it was just it was community organized stuff. Yeah, like, which is totally fine. I, mean, I appreciate that, but just don't make it the pay to win stuff. And well, yeah, blitz more than anything, or it's like or release a version where you're not like it's giving you your own cards for that match, not yes. the cards that you paid for. Well, exactly. It should be you know a random get that you have to kind of play with. Like, mm-hmm. It should be like all right. So for these tournaments, you can open. X number of packs and use what you got. You're guaranteed one legendary. You're guaranteed this many of this. You mm-hmm. have to build something around it. Yeah. But I think it would be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only the only Blitz I like, NFL Blitz 2000. So, <laughs> getting back to those shout outs. <laughs> shout out to, to that. Yeah. But let's jump over to the multiplayer maps that we got. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the descriptions for the maps are actually found within the Phoenix logs themselves. So a hashtag rise from the ashes will give you a little bit of hashtag info on your maps. Yeah, because, you know, we told you where to find all this stuff, folks. And like I said, check it out online. And we'll also have our notes if you're a patron to go through this. Um, we have all of it written out in the log form mm-hmm. so you can read through it. We're not going to because we're going to do a hashtag wiki wiki detailed walkthrough. That's yeah. the DJ version of it too. <laughs> but, I, I, don't, I don't know if the wiki wiki threw that off or not, but uh, it's there. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's start off with Ashes. I'm getting into character, by the way. That's why I have this silence for you guys. <laughs> I was wondering what you I'm getting into character. You're just like method acting. Oh, come on, Alex. You got this. You can get it. The wreckage of a covenant freighter lies scattered across the Amber Refugia. Thank you guys. That was that was my <laughs> that was my best uh, Helen Hunt uh, impersonation. Helen Hunt, what? Uh, yes, thank you very much. What um, Helen Hunt are you referring to? Thank you. I the Helen Hunt. I don't know if you heard exactly what I sounded like. It was an angelic voice. Okay, you know what? I believe it. Thank you very much. Next, we have Badlands. The unforgiving desert threatens to engulf this forerunner bastion and all who fight there. Next, we have Bedrock. I'll do it as Jesse. The substructure of an incomplete refuge stands ready to complete the Ark's work. I'm going to be honest, though, guys. The word is refugia. I said it earlier. I don't know what that is, so I'm going to skip that word. (laughs) But that's what it says. Next, we have fissures. Volatile liquid churns and boils beneath the uncertain amber surface that sounds like a chef's way of like describing really pretentious foods of like <laughs> like melting butter also <laughs> liquid churns and boils beneath the uncertain amber surface you're frying chicken okay you're working on that cookbook put that <laughs> perfect in I, I love that next we have fort jordan on an isolated battlefield in an isolated war old strategies return to relevance now I'm just trying to see if any of these can be used as descriptions for cooking. Yeah, actually, just just imagine. Uh, let us know what foods you think these maps are based on, <laughs> based on the descriptions of them. Next, we have Frontier. Verdant grasslands overrun a Forerunner facility suspended on the edge of the world. Spinach. <laughs> <laughs> Highway. A remote transport route by sex... The Crystalline Wilderness. I read that as biscuits earlier. I was so, going to say gas station biscuits and gravy. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Which, it's, it's like that crystallized ugh, grossness I will say, Midwesterners know Casey's biscuits and gravy are fantastic. I'm going to disagree because I don't know what any of that is. So I don't know. We'll talk about a post-show. We'll talk yeah, about a post-show. Yeah, because us Westerners know all that. <laughs> the next map we have is Mirage. Rolling sands carry the ghosts of fallen warriors through arid wilds. Mm, I'm going to leave it up to you guys. That's yeah. a tough one. Hit or miss. 
That's a tough one. Next we have Rift. The battles fought at this forerunner array will echo through history. That's just water. <laughs> <laughs> then we have the last bastion. Protect the terminus from the onslaught of enemies. Beef. The proving grounds. A fitting arena for endless battle. Uh, human meat. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we have Vault. Lush woodlands conceal an immense Forerunner storage facility. I'm going to say it's that Polish dish where it's like ground beef and onion, minced onion wrapped up in a grape leaf. So it's like, it's got like the I leaf no on the idea outside. What that is. Well, you're missing out. It's got the leaf on the outside, but inside, immense flavor. Like a, <laughs> like a Forerunner storage facility. Mwah, chef's kiss. But now we have music. Arguably one of the best sections of the episode. Disagree, but let's continue. 343 Industries would once again have to find another composer to create the music for the new installment in the Halo franchise. In the spring of 2015, audio director Paul Lipson would bring in longtime friend Gordon Habb to compose the music as part of a team with Finishing Moves Incorporated, Brian Trifon and Brian Lee White. Both Brian's have worked with 343 Industries before on Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary, Halo 2 Anniversary, and Halo Master Chief Collection. In an interview with FlickeringMyth.com, Brian Trifon stated, quote, Our task was to come up with a completely original score that is unique and stands on its own, but it also fits within the Halo universe of music. Fortunately, Halo has historically had diverse music ranging from purely orchestral choir pieces to entirely electronic textural compositions and even shredding rock guitar. During the same interview, Gordon would also add, quote, all of Halo Wars 2 characters have specific themes and music that accompanies their individual emotional story arcs. If we've accomplished our mission, which I believe we have, you can expect to hear highly dramatic and emotional story told through music. Now, the team emphasized the use of bringing in new themes for new characters while also borrowing themes from previous games, such as the theme for the Spirit of Fire. Mm-hmm. Halo Wars 2 would be the first Halo game where all three composers could find their own iconic voice within the Halo universe while trying to stay true to the fan base's expectations. The team had great flexibility with the creativeness of the score due to having large amounts of gameplay footage, you know, being fully available to the team, mm -hmm. as well as rough animations of the cinematics having already been completed. Their previous work in the Halo universe gave both Brian's, so Brian squared, <laughs> an understanding of Halo's storyline in order to help sculpt their image of the game. The team faced a number of challenges in creating music for a highly interactive RTS game. For example, when building a base, a minimalistic and atmospheric cue would start playing. But as the player started to become more active, the cue needed to ramp up its intensity according to where the player is in the set, you know, set action thus far. Yeah. To solve this, Gordon and uh, Brian Squared established a color-coded system when laying out all the cues, starting with green and followed by yellow, red, and super red. I like super red. Super red. Each cue map would have a full set of colors. Additionally, each cue or color would additionally have its own separate stems to adapt for different aspects of voiceovers and sound design. So really awesome layout, I, I would say. Mm -hmm. Another problem for the team included each member working on a different DAW or digital audio workstation. Gordon typically used DP and Cubase while both Brian's worked with Logic and Pro Tools. So for those who don't know, there's just different programs to record and mm -hmm. edit and cut. Mm -hmm. uh, they just use different options. 
resulting in some cues having to be reconfirmed and cut in pieces to be put back together again at the end of recording. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In terms of sounds, the team wanted a traditional Halo sound mixed with large cinematic moments. This meant a traditional orchestra was set as the center point of the soundtrack. The way to make it sound more cinematic however was to add extra large brass section and you know it was the largest thus far in the halo franchise it's actually uh, the halo ska edition <laughs> <laughs> it's just trumpets and, <laughs> and just people skanking <laughs> the choral section of the soundtrack was also enlarged for cinematic purposes additionally a large amount of synthetic sounds were added to the soundtrack including what brian trifon describes as a quote a visceral low sound you can really feel the additions of the new characters into the universe as well as the Banished led the team to want the soundtrack to sound more desperate and complicated, yet organic and alien sounding. Mm -hmm. This meant repeating the character themes throughout different sections of the orchestra on different cues. Halo Wars 2 would be the first Halo game to be cinematically recorded at the traditional scoring stage at Newman Scoring Stage, a part of 20th Century's Fox's studio in Los Angeles, California. Gordon and Brian Squared both worked hard to catch the attention of music critics, even presenting showcases with the Los Angeles and Seattle area in hopes of being nominated for a Grammy. The soundtrack would be released on October 4th, 2016 through Something Else Music Works and Microsoft Studios for $17.99 on CD and digitally, as well as $34.99 for a limited edition Marble two vinyl set again we talked about this give us more vinyl folks it's great 343 industries would release two tracks on soundcloud for fans to listen to before the release of the rest of the soundtrack and the soundtrack has 38 tracks for a total of 120 minutes and nine seconds and next up we have the release versions we have the xbox one uh as well as the play anywhere as well as the disc uh windows 10 originally microsoft partnered with thq nordic for the physical release of the PC version. However, they would only be physical editions of the PC game in Europe. The US release would be scrapped and only available digitally. And finally, the Ultimate Edition. This edition of the game would also come with the Halo Wars Definitive Edition, so enhanced graphics, all the DLCs, mm -hmm. along with early access to Halo Wars 2 and a Season Pass token. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, and and finally after the ultimate edition we have it on game pass so we're starting mm -hmm. to see a lot more of that content come there so you get both halo wars and halo wars 2 on there with dlcs actionables everything else that's there but even though we're on the pc with it if you head over to steam you can get halo wars can't get halo wars 2 though yeah but now let's talk about the general reaction and reception of this game halo wars 2 had a lot to live up to the first Wars title went down as a game with a story that fans would love for years to come. Believe it or not, there wasn't too much hype surrounding the release of Halo Wars 2 outside of the hardcore Halo community. IGN even had a podcast unlocked episode titled, Where's the Halo Wars 2 Hype? They felt that Microsoft was pushing the multiplayer aspect of it, especially Blitz, instead of pushing the game as a whole. They didn't really see any marketing push for the game. Microsoft hasn't really told anyone how well the game did or didn't sell. According to VG Charts, 
which could be argued as an unreliable source, the game sold 149,000 plus units on Xbox One during the first week of sales. There have been roughly 550,000 unique accounts that have played Halo Wars 2, but that doesn't mean 550,000 copies were sold brand new. With the previously mentioned post-launch demo, many have speculated that the game didn't sell as well as Microsoft had hoped and didn't even cross the 1 million copies threshold. Mm -hmm. Halo Wars 2 saw a consistent player count a year and a half after the release with a boost of 5,000 joining the fight a year after release. Consistently, 30,000 unique players were logging matches every week, and over 60,000 to about 80,000 games were played each week as well. It's unclear how many of these players were on PC or Xbox One. Creative Assembly were also updating and balancing the game on a monthly basis to keep fans playing the game. But the last major update the game would see was January of 2019, where afterwards 343 Industries would announce that it would be the last major update. In August of 2019, 343 Industries would officially announce they were ending support for Halo Wars 2 and any future updates for the foreseeable future. Even though only 30 days prior, over 121,000 players had logged at least one multiplayer match. Fans even created a petition to continue support and bring the game to Steam with almost 5,000 signatures, but this did not change 343's mind. The team that was also working on Halo Wars 2 support needed to focus their efforts on bringing Halo Reach to MCC and all Master Chief Collection titles to PC. Mm, yeah, so this is when when that happened, essentially, it was all hands on deck yeah. for that. But after the release of Halo Wars 2, 343 Industries head of strategy game development, Dan Ayub, would leave 343 Industries and he would join Microsoft's Mixed Reality division. Now, moving on from that, I do want to to jump into this quote by Graham Devine, who is the lead designer and writer for Halo Wars, the original one, who worked at Ensemble Studios. He said, quote, I was screaming out loud during the teaser. I was so elated. Wherever I have gone since Halo Wars came out, I've always had the question asked, when is Halo Wars 2 being announced? It's been too long since we left the crew of the Spirit of Fire alone and not quite home. I've always been very sad I never got to bring them home, and it was honestly a little bit bittersweet to see someone else take the helm, but it's awesome to see that it's being made, and I can't wait to play it. Now, Ensemble Studios actually started writing a script for Halo Wars 2 back in 2009, where Anders finds a Forerunner station she had been tracking for years. The game would have told the story of the Forerunners. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, not a single member of Ensemble Studios helped with the development of Halo Wars 2. So think back in 2009, these guys were like, okay, we think that an RTS game would be the perfect way to tell the story of the Forerunners. Basically, the what we not the, the exact story, but they wanted to do what Greg Bear did for sure. that trilogy. So I think that's really interesting that they actually had, they were started writing a script. Yeah, and, and put something towards it, which mm -hmm. is really awesome. Yeah. Shortly after Halo Wars 2 release, Creative Assembly created a pitch to present to Microsoft for a Halo Wars 3. Though it was canceled, Microsoft gave Creative Assembly's concept artist, Brad Wright, the okay to post what he had created for the Halo Wars 3 concept art on his art station page. The main component of this was going to be a more strategic game. As we said before, mm -hmm. they kind of stripped away some strategy from this one, so they wanted to bring that back. From his concepts, the game was going to feature space battles, along with the main home base being a capital ship with customizable rooms. Very cool. All ground forces would also be prepped in the home base ship. 
Eventually, the concept art was removed by Microsoft and replaced with additional Halo Wars 2 concept art. Microsoft was never clear on why they did this. Wright had also created a pitch for Awakening the Nightmare that would feature Promethean Knights in the gameplay. Thank God that didn't happen. Yeah, so so overall, you know, out of what's cut in the concept art, I mean, we could have possibly seen if, if Ensemble had stayed with it or even pushing on more the Forerunner aspect of mm-hmm. it. But I think overall, getting the Banished in and having that story, I think, did extremely well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the critics... Yes, and note it. I mean, I mean, overall, you're looking about a six or seven or a sixty or seventy average. You know, Metacritic giving a seventy out of a hundred. Mm-hmm. PC specific, but on the Xbox One, a little higher with a seventy nine out of a hundred. And everywhere across the boards, you're getting sixes, sevens, eights. Mm-hmm. Um, that that pretty much gave it a, a kind of even keel. And I think did really well for what the game was. Yeah. Uh, however, Halo Wars Two was something that fans wanted since two thousand nine, but. It failed to deliver the same amount of depth that the first game was able to give, ending with a rather anticlimactic cliffhanger. Though many fans love the game as a whole, and it did deliver some great new characters and storylines, many critics felt that the game didn't innovate enough from the first game. Instead, for the most part, the gameplay felt the same. So, you know, fans and critics alike enjoyed the characters and enjoyed the cutscenes and things mm-hmm. like that, but it overall left a lot of people wanting a bit more out of it. Yes. Microsoft holding back on marketing also didn't help get the game into players' living rooms. The game itself also lost support a, a kind of way too early in its lifespan. I mean, we, we yeah. do see why it happened now, mm-hmm. but to really give it legs, it just kind of chopped them off and said, here, deal with it. Regardless of fan hype alone for the game, financially, it didn't live up to Microsoft's expectations. Luckily, the Banished have found their way into Infinite, continuing the story, and not letting Halo Wars 2's story fall by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so thankfully, that's where we see them now. Now, as always, this is where you know we've gone through all these notes, so we're going to give you our opinion of the game. So mm-hmm. as always, Alex, please start us off. Yeah, so, so like I said, I am an RTS player uh, since an early age. I logged tens of hundreds of hours into Age of Mythology. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite games of all time. So coming to this and honestly sitting down playing Halo Wars 2 for the podcast, that's originally why we bought it, was to kind of play yeah. with some patrons who wanted to do it. Um, it was actually still pretty fun. I remember mm-hmm. the OG Halo Wars, I liked it fine enough. But coming to this and getting more of those cutscenes, and I think, in my opinion, a cooler campaign. I liked the campaign a lot. I know mm-hmm. some people didn't and felt the story was kind of dry. I thought it was interesting. I thought introducing the Banished was amazing. So I would say, really, overall, truly, truly impressed with it. And it does have its faults, like you said, Blitz, and a couple of the things that push the pay to win. And mm-hmm. once again, they kind of put the game out there. They did support it. They had the DLC in it. They put the flood back in it for some reason. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's there was no continuation after it or talk of it after it. Yeah, We may see what Infinite brings, but... You know, I thought that was a really, really neat way to attribute DLC that didn't just feel like reusing character models for a silly mission on the side, like mm-hmm. the ODST stuff they had. Yeah, I thought that the uh, Awakening the Nightmares really, really changed it. And they did have a little bit of a marketing push with it. It wasn't much, but putting out some new graphics and yeah. um, uh, posters and stuff for it was 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 pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, overall, it's still a fun experience. Uh, I get crushed online, so I just play the computer because <laughs> I don't have the dexterity of a 12-year-old to micromanage everything. But it's still a fun game. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, 
I really liked the first Halo Wars, and it's one of the only few RTSs I've ever played. It, you know, um, and I always did it co-op because I always get smashed, even just regular difficulties, because I don't have the attention span to be that good at, at uh, mm-hmm. RTSs. And I felt that this one was, again, it played the same for the most part. You know, if it's not broke, don't fix it, because the first Halo Wars was you know, pretty well received in terms of controls. So they did do that. We, you know, we've talked about how Blur just killed it as per usual with these cutscenes. The story for me was, it was okay. Again, how it ended was a little anticlimactic. Yeah. I think we should have gotten a little something more. But in my opinion, it pulled a Halo 5 with that. Yeah, it it, it did. So I, I'll give it that. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think that, it, again, it was something that fans have been wanting it's that weird thing i can't put my finger on why exactly it it, it didn't do that well i can't say this is probably why mm-hmm. like i i don't know if fans wanted it i think it really was the marketing push microsoft really did hold back on it and it, it's even as i said even ign had a podcast episode called where's the halo yeah. wars 2 hype IGN saw that this was like such a big potential for Microsoft and they were just like, eh. and as I said, I don't think it was like a pat, like, I don't think that a lot of people are as passionate about it as they have been for Halo 4 or 5 or even the first Halo Wars. I think it should have been a little, it should have done better. I don't know why it didn't, probably the marketing, but it's still, again, a fun game to play. Nonetheless, I loved The Banished. They're a great inclusion. What they bring to the table is awesome. Atriox is a very compelling character. Mm-hmm. I think he should have showed up a little more because after you see him in that first cutscene, he's not really in it. Much. I agree. I mean, you get to be him as a leader, um, which is which is is cool. But, yeah. But like you said, you don't get that badassery. Like I wanted. I guess the one thing I kind of wanted a bit more was to just see him out there on the battlefield, just like yeah. taking care of business, even if he's ordering the business. Just more of the battlefield aspect of mm-hmm. them. Yeah. But I'd say if I got to rank this game, I'm going to go with a 7. I'm gonna, a 6.5 or 7. Just nice. because said I'm not the biggest RTS guy. The reason I ever played the first one was simply because the word Halo was in the title. That's pretty good. I mean, if, if I had to give this a rating, I would probably go with Summoning Relinquished. Obviously, pfft pre-card game summoning relinquished and eating up my opponents but at that same time opening up toon world and and putting all of my monsters in the toon world which didn't make sense at all either because it's not how you do it um <laughs> this is show rules by the way yeah if, if you don't know this is this is um this is the uh phoenix logs from halo wars 2 yeah obviously i do it out of that i would definitely add in the karibo wall which also made no sense because you know in in my deck in my grandpa's deck there are no weak cards. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then also uh, I would add in several trips to the Shadow Realm, probably out of 17 Yugi Boys. Yeah, I'd say that's like a six and a half, seven, maybe seven and a half, probably. If uh, I'm doing the math right. You're a little off, but I'll allow it. <laughs> that was our coverage of Halo Wars 2. Research was done by Jesse Reiners and Evan Barr. And it was fun. As I said, it's, it's you know, we're, we're getting to the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And we're glad that we got to Halo Wars 2 finally. Yeah, and our next episode uh, will be a review of Dave and Busters. <laughs> this is true, yeah. Because we are going to be covering Fireteam Raven. Yes, so we'll have that coming for you. Um, and as always, if you want to support us, if you want to say, hey, good job. I appreciate you. Yeah. You can sell on our patron, our Patreon. 
our Patreon, our patron. You can be a patron be on a our patron Patreon. On our Patreon. So I want to thank those those peoples, those those wonderful peoples today. Great people. Great peoples. We have Charles Zitter, Tactics, Skyjack, Francis, Harvey Chong, Brendan Reshatar, Angry Canadian, ZZ Slipway, Grant Dillon, Duststorm, Mr. Choff, Cowan Fong Feliciano, Dragonfire, James Ravasi, Jonas, D Gamer twelve ninety eight, Alejandro Harmio, Dilfix, Quantum Easy, that LL Gamer guy, Jamie Sneed, McRae Austin, Mega, Thomas Goulding, Nick Hyman, Tuna, O three one seven, Brandon Christian, Richard Scanlon, Let Me Be Frank, Mick Chief, Welsh, Big Papa Semeshki, Grant ODST, Loki twenty fourteen, Nathan Vandevort, and Climbing Spork. So thank you all for supporting us. If you haven't, check out our Patreon today. We've got some really cool uh, reward tiers, uh, like mm-hmm. I was talking about here, episode notes, episode covers. Post shows. Post shows, exclusive merch, exclusive episodes, coming out with that stuff. So really cool things. And we're going to have a little shift in our Patreon content um, coming late December into January Yep. Um, with our Gen 1 update, let's say. Um, we got, <laughs> yeah, the update. We got some fun things for you coming with that. Uh, so... Be sure to stay tuned with those things. And thank you again for supporting us. Truly, truly appreciate it. It's allowing us to come to your ears here, come to your eyeballs and ears on Twitch, mm-hmm. and allows us to just get little things that we need. I uh, really, yeah. truly appreciate that. Yeah. And if you have any questions about Patreon, please send us a message on either Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook after, you know, you've given us a like or a follow. As well as, you know, if you if you want to listen to this podcast on any other kind of platform, we are there, including all podcast platforms and YouTube. If you could go ahead on iTunes and give us a five-star review as well as a written review, we would greatly appreciate that. And finally, please join our Discord. It's active every day. It's funny. It's how we coordinate a lot of our game nights. It's where you can get an announcement when a new episode comes out or when Alex goes live on stream. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, that was Halo Wars 2 and as Alex had stated, come back in two weeks when we will be covering Dave and Busters. the legendary the highest anticipated Halo game of all time Halo Fire Team Raven. Yes, we will be there for all the rumbles the grumbles and the shooty shoots <laughs> be a good time. I, I am your host Jesse Reiners and I am your host Alex Kendall. Thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. Finished. No, I think we're just getting started.